Well, good evening, everyone. Happy Easter. Isn't it wonderful to be uh, back in the room together tonight on Easter Day? Um, I'm going to pray. And uh, I've got good news this evening, um, apart from the gospel, which we're going to share. Um, but anyone watch The Chosen, the film that we showed at Christmas, the, uh, the one of The Shepherd? Anyone seen series one of The Chosen? Series two is released tonight, Eastern Standard Time. Uh, so I think it's about one o'clock in the morning. If you want to stay up to watch it, then you're welcome to. Otherwise, you might want to catch it uh, tomorrow. Uh, but it's fantastic. And if you haven't seen The Chosen yet, it's got this uh, remarkable portrayal of Jesus in it. And it's a uh, sort of portrayal of Jesus that I sort of feel I, I quite like to meet. And in the passage we're going to be looking at tonight, you feel like you really meet Jesus as well. So I hope we get the sense of he's in the room with us as, as real as if the Netflix time series had suddenly uh, rocks up here. So I'm going to pray that Jesus is here in the room with us and that we get to encounter him this evening. Do you want to join him in that prayer? Oh man, lovely, lovely, lovely. Lord Jesus, happy Resurrection Day. We would love to experience your resurrection power here this evening. Please present yourself among us so that we can worship you as we should. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, this passage gives us three reasons uh, to believe in the resurrection and to trust in Jesus. And they're quite different reasons. They touch our, our head, our heart, and uh, just sort of anchor us into history as well. We're going to look through them as we go through the passage, and we'll try and make sense of it as we go along. So character one is Mary Magdalene, and it says very early in the morning, on, on the first day of the week, which is the day after the Sabbath. Key bit of information here, it's basically the first time anyone's allowed to go near the tomb, because it's been the Sabbath day, and they weren't allowed to do anything on the Sabbath. So the first time anyone's allowed to go anywhere near the tomb, while it's still dark... <laughs> Mary, eager beaver that she is, is going there to do what? Well, just anoint a dead body, to put some smellies on it so it doesn't smell too bad, to give respect and worship and love to this man who changed her life. If you've uh, followed her saga in The Chosen, uh, in the, particularly in that betrayal, they show her as someone who was really troubled, who Jesus transforms her life and draws her into being one of his key first disciples. An amazing image, isn't it? There she is going along to tend to his body while it's still dark. There's other people with her, if you look at verse 2, because she says, we don't know where they've put him. Uh, but it's like majoring in on her here. And she gets there, and she sees that there's the stone that's covering the small gap at the entrance to the tomb, that's about this sort of size, has been rolled away. And immediately she stops in the middle of her grief, in the middle of her anguish, and turns around and runs off to where Simon Peter and John are, and he says, he says to her, it's pretty out of breath, uh, they've taken her out of the tomb. Um, we don't know where they've put him. Now, this is a key piece of information. Mary is one of the inside disciples talking to the two most inside disciples of all. Now, one of the conspiracy theories about the empty tomb is that the disciples nicked the body. But here we have, we've got the first female major disciple and the first two male major disciples just sort of totally shocked that the tomb's empty. And so Peter and the other disciples, they start running as well. They head to the tomb. They're running, uh, but a little bit of information in here. The one disciple, the unnamed one, outruns Peter. Maybe Peter's been putting on some lockdown weight. I don't know what Jesus has been. And oh, it's only a day. He can't have put on that much weight in that time. Anyway, John overtakes him, uh, and he looks in at the linen strips lying there, but he doesn't go in. I mean, you're not going to run headfirst into a tomb, are you? You've got to get through. Has anyone been to the garden tomb in, in Israel? 
I've been into it. You have to get through quite a small door. So, you, you know, if you're running along to it, you're not going to go, Ooh, crikey, you're going you're gonna to stop probably because, frankly, you get, not least there's probably a dead body in there. Anyway, he stops. But Peter, he ain't stopping. And Peter, if you know the story, in the last few days has told Jesus, I will die with you. And then immediately gone, I never knew him, I never knew him, I never knew him. And a cock going, and suddenly he's like been weeping his heart out for the last few days. So he's run along to the tomb, and he gets there, and he just can't wait to work out what's gone in. So he goes in, and he looks around the corner. And that is a key piece of information, because the body of Jesus was laid in such a way that you'd have to go in to see where the head was lying. John, through the door, can see that the, the legs aren't there. And you have to go all the way in to see... The head's not there as well. And when Peter looks in, he sees the most extraordinary thing. Now, imagine that you're a, a not-quite-dead body that's been wrapped up as if you're dead. You've got all the mummy straps around you. It's not quite like a mummy because the legs could still move. Remember, Lazarus walks out of his tomb, <laughs> so the legs can still move. But the head's wrapped up differently, uh, two different bits of cloth. Uh, imagine you're, you've just sort of swooned, and suddenly in the cool tomb, you've revived and you're like, what am I doing in here? And you sort of start unwrapping yourself as if you could manage it. Uh, what's the cloth going to be like? It's just going to be, well, unless you're a neat freak, it's going to be all over the place, isn't it? If you are a neat freak, you might stack it up on top of each other in a nice pile in the corner. Who, who would be a neat freak if you were, you know, you revive from near dead? Yeah, we've got a couple of people thinking about the next person who might want to use the tomb. Anyone just chuck it on the floor? Do you think you're just going to chuck it away? Anyone think they might drag it with them as a souvenir or because you're frankly naked and you might want something? <laughs> One of those scenarios, quite likely, what is very unlikely is it's going to be lying there as if a body has just resurrected through the midst of the cloth. And that's exactly what's happened. I don't know if you've seen the, uh, the Mel Gibson uh, horror fest, The Passion of the Christ. Absolutely gruesome, gruesome film, but it gets this last bit stunningly right. There's a sort of sense of the, the grave clothes just collapsing in place, like the body just disappears from them. And then out goes the hand of Jesus with the hole uh, through the wrist going out. Now, I kind of think that probably Jesus has been dressed by God in some glorious royal robes of righteousness, but I think Mel Gibson has him going off naked into the garden. I think he's probably been dressed by God in some rather nice robe. And that means the grave clothes can stay there. And that's what Peter sees when he walks through there. It's extraordinary. And the other disciple gets in as well, sees the same thing. And look at what it says here. He also said, went inside. He saw and believed. Well, that's our first sort of fact for the day. He sees the empty tomb, he sees the resurrected sort of displaced grave clothes, and he believes. But what does he believe from this reasonable amount of historical evidence? What does he believe? Well, not everything that you might expect him to believe. Now, this is, this is the limits of reason. You see, you can investigate the Christian faith and you can investigate the resurrection of Jesus and you can stack up the evidence, peculiar as it is, that Jesus was accident, actually resurrected from the dead and it may not still completely affect you if you don't understand how it's anchored into the bigger story. See what it says next? 
they still did not understand from the scripture that Jesus had to rise from the dead. So they've seen reasonable evidence of his resurrection. They're believing, but what exactly in? We're not quite sure yet because they go off back to where they're staying. What they don't do is go back going, hallelujah, he's risen, he's alive. They don't sound like Nicola at the start of an Easter Sunday service. They just go back. They're like, maybe it's a miracle. But what's all a miracle? What's happened? I don't get it. What's what's, What's going on? And they've got reason and evidence, but they haven't yet had the life-changing encounter, and they haven't had an understanding of Scripture to back it up. Now, bear with me as we go through reason, encounter, and Scripture, because it will explain to you how to have a whole rounded Christian faith and how to think about how to communicate it to other people, because the next thing we have here is encounter. It's Mary again, and Mary is standing outside the tomb crying. And she weeps, and then she bends to look in the tomb. And suddenly, there are two characters who weren't there when Peter and John were there. It's two angels sitting on the feet and on the head of Jesus. So thank goodness he's been resurrected, otherwise he'd be getting completely squashed by these heavy angels. So they're sitting there, and she looks in on them, and, um, and they say, well, why are you crying? And she says, they've taken my Lord away. They're taking my Lord away. I don't know where they've put him. See, although there's an empty tomb, although there's these grave clothes, the penny's not dropped yet. Someone's taken him. I don't know who's taken him. Maybe, maybe it's the Roman guards. Maybe it's the Jews who wanted to kill Jesus. Someone's taken him. Maybe someone's taken him. I don't know where they've laid him. And then, as she turns around, she sees Jesus standing there. Now remember, it's very early in the morning. It's still a little bit on the dawn dark sort of stage. For some reason, she doesn't recognize him at all. And he says, woman, why are you crying? Who is it that you're looking for? And she thinks he's, he's a gardener, because he's in a, a garden, presumably. And she says, sir, if it's you, if you've carried him away, tell me where you've put him, and I will get him. So here we have Mary, this very close disciple of Jesus, not in the Dan Brown way, talk to me afterwards if you want to know about that, very close disciple of Jesus, encountering Jesus, but she doesn't get it just yet. She doesn't get it. Have you done that in your Christian walk or your exploring of the Christian faith? You can see all these other people around you who seem to be encountering Jesus, but it's like You're just not sure who he is, if you're honest, if you're looking in on it. You're just not quite sure. And and sometimes your clarity can fade over time, can't it? You can be like, yeah, I was sure of it yesterday, but today I'm not so sure. But then the creator of the universe, the sun, moon, and star maker, as Dennis Adida used to say, says one word that changes everything. And it's a one word that he would love to say into your life tonight. You just have to make it personal to you. To her, he says... Mary, but to Zoe he would say Zoe, to Levi he would say Levi. He says your name, he calls you by name, Mary. And that changes everything because suddenly the encounter isn't just with a resurrected risen Jesus, but it's with a risen Jesus who knows you by name. He reads your story. You're not just reading his story, 
He's reading your story and he's calling you into his story. He's calling you by name. And what does she do? She gives an expression of adoration and worship. She says, Rabboni, which means teacher. More specifically, it means my teacher. And more specifically still, it's, it's a word that you use to worship. Teacher, Lord, Master, teacher. She prays to him effectively. She praises him. And then it looks like her next reaction is to just grab him because Jesus says, do you not hold on to me? I don't think he says that straight away. I don't think it's like, don't touch me. He's real. He's tangible. He's physical. He's touchable. Extraordinary. He's not a ghost. He's physical. And we'll hear next week how physical he is as uh, he feeds with people and others touch him as well. But he says, "Don't, don't hold on to me because, and this is where he does truth bombing on her. This is where he adds to the encounter and to the evidence scripture truth. Remember the disciples hadn't yet understood from scripture that he must rise from the dead. Now Jesus gives her scripture. And many people in their Christian life have, you know, a lovely encounter with God. We, we sometimes host the Alpha course here and we do a Holy Spirit Saturday. We just have one, haven't we? Really wonderful, lovely occasion. And many people on the Holy Spirit Saturday have a, a lovely sense of an encounter with God. They may even have explored the evidence of Jesus being real and historical and the fact that the New Testament is well attested to and that the resurrection is well attested to. They may have evidence and they may have an encounter, but until it gets anchored in revealed truth, it's just a sort of personal thing. And it's not quite enough, actually, to carry you along the way. You might say, oh, I really want an encounter with Jesus. And his answer is, more often than not, to give you a truth bomb. Look at the truth bomb he offers to Mary here. He says, don't hold on to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. Go instead to my brothers and sisters, or my brothers specifically here, and tell them, I'm ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. He anchors it in truth. I will build my life upon your word for it is a firm foundation. Nicholas' passage you read out from 1 Corinthians just earlier, uh, that Jesus died according to the scriptures, that he rose again according to the scriptures. Until you get that it's in the scriptures, you don't understand that it's all part of his story, which is part of history, and that's the firm foundation of everything. It's according to the scriptures. It's not just about an encounter. It's not just about evidence and the fact that it's reasonable. It's the fact that it's grounded in God's revelation in the scripture and it's crucial. And when he reveals something in the scripture, then you've got a firm three-legged stool to sit on. My experience, the reasonable approach to Christian faith and scripture. And if you want, you can add on a fourth leg that actually this is what the church has always believed. It's the tradition. On the basis of this truth, we've got a firm foundation to put our hope into. So tell me about your journey with Jesus. Which of these truths is it most anchored in, your, your hope? I hope you've got a strong anchorage for your hope. When I went to see the, the Passion of the Christ, I went with uh, a relative. And it, it was wonderful to travel with this, this young, uh, young guy. But on the way there, he confided in me that 
he was scared of dying. And it just hit me like another truth bomb that I wasn't scared of dying at all. And why is it that I wasn't scared of dying? Because of reason, because of encounter, and because of scripture, which teaches me, like the thief on the cross from two days ago, that I will be with you in paradise. I don't have to fear death because he's been raised from the dead. And I have not just an experience to back that up, but rationality based on evidence for Jesus and scripture. And I wonder what your hope is in. I wonder why you're not scared of dying. Or maybe you are a bit scared. Maybe you're not sure what the foundation is. I wonder, are there one of these legs of the stool that's missing a bit for you? Maybe it's all hinged around experience for you. You went on an alpha course and you had a lovely, warm, fuzzy feeling. You think, oh, that's great. Is that enough to build my life on it? It seems enough for a little while. But then the storms come along. COVID comes along or a bereavement comes along or a redundancy comes along or an A-level comes along or a relationship comes and goes and you're like, oh, it doesn't feel very stable anymore. Or maybe you're like a clever person, a logical person. You've got a law degree or something, and you're like, I've worked it out for myself. I believe because I believe. And you've read Pascal, and you work out that it's, it's more sensible to believe than not, because if you believe in a wrong, then, you know, whatever. But if you're, you don't believe and you're wrong, then, you know, you're in eternal trouble. <laughs> so you've logicked your way into faith with Jesus. But that doesn't get you all the way either. Somehow you've got to get embedded into history, into his story, into the scriptures. And find out that there's a much bigger purpose to this than just your life and my life. A revealed truth that goes on forever. Maybe it's actually, it's, the scripture's never been hard for you to believe. You come from that angle. But you've never really done the hard work of thinking it through for yourself. And you're not sure if you've really heard him call you by name. Maybe they, those are the bits that you need to work on. Whichever they are, I hope that tonight you'll complete the story. And you'll get the legs on the stool in place and have a firm foundation to sit on. I wonder if we could do that together for a second. Let's just have a quiet moment just to think. And sometimes when I think I know my thoughts go all over the place, so sometimes I just say, God, please help me to think the, the best thought for me now. Should we try that? Just in your heart to say, God, please help me think the best thought for me now. And see what, what he guides you to. Let's, let's try that just for 30 seconds. Lord, please help me think the best thought. What do I need to know now? What do I need to do now or experience now? I do just have a, a lovely sense of Jesus being in the room and some of you are like, I don't know if he's ever really 
called me by name and he's just willing to walk around now and call you by name. So maybe say, please come here, Lord. Call me. Talk to me. And Mary runs that tomb, hasn't she? Run towards him in your heart. And there's a few others. I think God's saying to you, I've given you a great mind. Think about me. Think about me. The scripture says, love the Lord your God with all your heart and your mind. He's calling you to think about him. To consider these things. What's the evidence for your faith? Could you explain it to your gran or to your five-year-old nephew? Think about it. I think there's a whole load of us here, God's saying, you do realize there are other pages in the book. (laughs) Sometimes when I talk to kids in the church, they're like, I know the whole thing. (laughs) It's because we only ever teach them one page of the book. (laughs) Like, I know he died, I know he rose again. (laughs) It's like, get into the whole thing and see how every page whispers the name of Jesus, even the tough bits. Say, Lord, I don't want to be afraid of reading the hard bits. Show me how to read it. And please read me while I read about you. In Jesus' name, amen.